So, sure, some people are called to vocational ministry, but I think we're all called to ministry. God calls most of us to minister where he plants us, and for most of us, that's in the workplace. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to The Conversation. Hey everyone, my name is Benjamin Quinn. And I'm Nathaniel Williams. Today on the Christ and Culture podcast, we will talk with Brian Ayers about integrating faith and work and something called corporate chaplains. After that, we'll have another edition of our segment on my bookshelf. But first, it's time for our new segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, like news, sports, pop culture, or business, from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, let's talk about Rings of Power. So let's do talk about Rings of Power. This has made quite the headlines kind of across all types of different media platforms. In fact, um, it kind of surprised me how, how big that it kind of hit the news. So we have with us two friends and also colleagues here at Southeastern, Dr. A.D. Miles and Dr. Anna Daub. Thank you guys both for joining us today. Thank you. And they are, we're, we're just going to dub them Nathaniel. We're going to dub them our pop culture experts. So can we call them poppies <laughs> for short? We'll call them poppies for short. Somebody's going to send me an email about that. Rings of Power is a new Amazon Prime TV show set in the J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings universe with a budget of $500 million. Can you believe that? $500 million, the most expensive television show of all time. And these friends are going to talk to us about these things. Just so that you guys know, Dr. A.D. Miles is professor of English and linguistics, and Dr. Anna Daub is assistant professor of missions. Let me start with uh, Dr. Daub. Let me kick this question to you. What is the Rings of Power? How is it connected to the Lord of the Rings books and the movies? Sure. Uh, Thank you for letting me be here and joining you guys today. I feel like before we get started, I always need to put this caveat out there. I am a Tolkien fan, not a Tolkien scholar. And I think there's a difference there. Uh, So I'm just somebody who loves the world, uh, but I'm not the person who knows all the things about it. But (laughs) Rings of Power is a super fun show so far. Uh, It is a prequel to The Hobbit and Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings, uh, loosely based on some other things that Tolkien has written over, uh, over his lifetime. IMDb says that it is supposed to be thousands of years before The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So you're looking like way earlier than them. It does have some characters that overlap, mainly elves. Uh, So you've got Elrond and Galadriel. Do you have orcs? We do have orcs, yes. Or, how do you, what's the proper orcs. way to say it? Orcs, orcs not orcs? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. um, and we have a Balrog. That, that's an, uh, okay. spoiler alert, sorry if people haven't watched it. Um. <laughs> it's over. It's over, Anna. You ruined it. So do you, I'm just curious, do you, got, do you like it? Yes. I've, I've really enjoyed it. You recommend mm-hmm. it for people who are Tolkien fans, scholars, mm-hmm. distance? I don't know. You recommend it all the way around? I recommend it. Again, I can't speak to the scholarship side. Okay. Um, I don't know how true it is to his works. but So I who, think who's writing this? Obviously, Tolkien didn't write this. So who is writing this, and how is it that they're maintaining, if in fact they're maintaining the spirit of Tolkien's work? Dr. Miles? Um, yeah, I just wanted to echo um, what Anna said. I, too, am a fan, not an expert, even though I'm a literature professor. I would love to be a Tolkien expert, but I'm not. There's only so much time. There's only so much time. <laughs> There's only so much time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I really I enjoyed. I have read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books. I have not read The Silmarillion, but I want to. And that is a work that Tolkien 
wrote, but he didn't publish it. Like it was kind of mm. put together, and mm. and a lot of the background. He he there was. There were so many manuscripts left when he died, and his son did a lot to put things together and bring them um, to publication, and some have just never been published. Mm. And so the writers for um, for this Amazon show are, are drawing mm. on these unpublished works and works published posthumously after, you know, after Tolkien. So they're not just making it up. I mean, they actually have some real mm-hmm. source material from Tolkien himself that they're working from. Uh, and putting this together, do you feel like that it maintains the spirit of his work? I do. Yeah, uh, I think so it, far. Yeah, and and um, Anne and I have talked about this. So we we both agree that I think the spirit is there, hmm. but like anything that you know that's made to please the current public, right? Can you hold the timeline exactly the way it was written, yeah. or do you kind of have to squish the timeline together a little bit? And in, in in this, we see pieces of the timeline kind of squished together. Mm. Um, but that's not something that for me, I would say like, oh, well, because they squished the timeline, it's not true to Tolkien. I'm not going to watch it. Mm. Because in um, The Lord of the Rings, in the first movie, we have Bilbo's birthday. And then Frodo leaves mm-hmm. for his mm-hmm. long journey. If you're watching the movie, it just seems like a few days or maybe a week or two after. And in the book, it's 17 years later. Wow. And so yeah. it it's not uncommon yeah. for the big screen or the small screen to kind of smush things together to, yeah. to get to get things so done. In, in this question of the spirit of Tolkien's work and how it how it sort of relates to contemporary world. So this is decades after Tolkien has written Lord of the Rings. CNN recently published an article with this headline. Here's what it said. When wokeness comes to Middle Earth, why some say diverse casting ruins the new Lord of the Rings series. Anna, what do you think? So I don't actually have any issue with a racially diverse cast. I don't think it detracts from the spirit of Tolkien. I think Tolkien actually asks the reader some very specific kind of undergirding questions. For example, is there a world where elves and dwarves can be friends? Hmm. I think that's a really important question that he asks. Um, Is there a world where hobbits and a wizard and men and an elf and a dwarf can band together for the sake of something bigger than themselves? Hmm. And I think he answers joyfully yes. Dwarves and elves can be friends, even though they have a general distrust and dislike of each other. Look at Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. Um, yeah. He says, yes, these, this band of very different people can band together on a quest because they rally again around something that is good. And I, I think this is actually a really important motif in Tolkien's work. Uh, these people are, are bound together, not because of, of, of something they just make up, but because yeah. there's a common good that they're working towards. Yeah. So is that the way to distinguish this? This is not what, what's binding them together in Tolkien's imagination in this world he's creating is not cultural agendaism. It's actually the nature of good that they have agreed upon and are moving. They're fi- literally fighting for. And yeah. that's, a, that's a very basic mm-hmm. difference here. Is that fair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think this is a place where you really see Tolkien's faith come out. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not explicitly, but I think it's there. Because he w- he's coming from a Christian worldview where he's saying, we as Christians can rally around a savior mm-hmm. and a shared faith and a shared desire for the good of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when we as Christians read Tolkien's work, we ask, is there a world where dwarves and elves can be friends? And we can say yes. Yeah. And then it calls us to question our own world. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, is there a place for potential unlikely friendships in our world that can come from us uniting around a savior? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Is, is there such a space as a world where Alabama fans and Georgia fans <laughs> can be friends? I still think so. 
uh, because because Jesus is big. Okay, we're done here. So uh, I'm just kidding. All right, last question. Last question. Uh, your favorite character in Lord of the Rings? Anna, you first. Ooh. Oh, that's such a good question. You put us on the spot. Um, and, and all of it, everything. All of yeah. and everything. Rings. I probably yeah. would have to say Sam. Sam okay. Ganji. Yeah. Um, I love his just devotedness to his friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't, he's not the one who's carrying the burden, yep. but he's going to help his friend carry the burden. Yep. And I think that is such a, a needed reminder of what friendship is. Mm. That's mm-hmm. good. Dr. Miles. Yeah. I totally agree with Anna and want to say Sam as well. And I would say it, but you said it first. So <laughs> I think when I'm watching the movies or reading the books, I do love Sam the best. But I get really excited when the ints are on the screen. <laughs> I love the ints and just that they are deliberate and, okay, maybe they take a, a really long time to say something. But then they yeah. say anything worth saying yeah. is worth taking a long time to think about and then yeah. say it. So I think I think they have some good lessons for us, the ints do. Um, and I think all of it, you know, the ints learning to tolerate and even work with the hobbits. Mm-hmm. And like Anna was saying before, I think I think Tolkien really is trying to communicate that that people who are different can get along, and and we can even be sympathetic to people who are just maybe diametrically different from yeah. us. Um, and spoiler alert: in one of the latest episodes, we have this orc called Adar, and he was an elf at one mm-hmm. time, but he has been twisted and hurt and bent by yeah. dark forces. Yeah. And so there's an elf and her Galadriel, she just wants to destroy all the orcs. And so they have these interactions. And I think it's really interesting the way as a viewer, I know I'm I know the orcs are supposed to be bad guys, but I start having sympathy mm-hmm. for this guy. Yeah. And I and I again I think that I think that that's really a blessing that we can learn to have sympathy for people that are very different from us, people that maybe do things different, people that just break rules that we don't think should be broken, Mm -hmm. but we can still have sympathy. And I don't think she will become friends with him, (laughs) Um, but it just makes me wonder. Like, I I think in a way, Tolkien is sort of communicating no one is beyond redemption. And I think that's a very biblical statement. No one is beyond redemption. So I think overall, it's a, even when you're watching the bad guys, there's a hope there, and I think that's part of the joy of being a fan and watching these things. Rings Absolutely. of Power, the new <laughs> Amazon Prime TV show, Dr. Daub and Dr. Miles, thank you both for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. What does it look like to bring faith into the workplace, the integration of Christ at work? What does that look like? Today we're delighted to talk with Mr. Brian Ayers, the Chief Operating Officer of Corporate Chaplains of America, where he has served in various capacities for now more than 20 years. Brian and his wife have been married for 26 years, have five children, one grandson, he said named Bear. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Benjamin. I'm really glad to be here. Tell us, um, we've heard about military chaplains, hospital chaplains, all kinds of different uh, chaplains, but what is corporate chaplain? So corporate chaplain is really similar to those things, but it's chaplaincy in the workplace. And so on a daily basis, what it looks like is that a chaplain would go into the workplace and to various companies that he or she would serve and care for employees while they work, doing what we call rounds, walking around and giving every employee a moment of encouragement. And that could be 
30 seconds to three minutes. And the goal of that moment of encouragement is to build a relationship with them so that if they have a crisis, or actually when they have a crisis, because we all know they will, that they trust the chaplain and they're, they're open to reaching out to the chaplain and, and allowing that chaplain to come into their life and give them deeper care at that time. How did you get into this? Man, it was uh, back in 1999. I was a youth minister at Ken Keithley's church, uh, okay. Open Door, and um, thinking that I came to seminary to be a youth minister and uh, quickly learned in that that it was fun, but it's not what God had called me to do. And uh, about two years into being the youth minister there, uh, another man at church called my house one day and said, Brian, what are you going to do when you grow up? And started talking about corporate chaplaincy. And I looked at my wife. I said, Carol, this is why we're here. And so God took me out of the workplace that I actually loved Hmm. to retool me and put me back into the workplace in a different capacity. So why is it so important to connect faith into the workplace? I think it's vitally important. Uh, So as Christians— our faith is not just a Sunday, Wednesday faith, mm. right? And, and most people spend most of their waking hours in the workplace. Yeah. And so if we don't integrate our faith into work, if we don't take our whole selves to the office, then we're really not living out our life in Christ. I would imagine for people listening who, who work in corporate settings or secular settings, you might say their first objection to this would be, oh, that'd be great, but it's not legal. So how do you guys deal with some of the sort of the legal hamstrings and red tape that you have to deal with on this? So that's a great question. So it, some people do think it's illegal, and some people don't like it at all. But the truth is, it is perfectly legal, and the government has actually written some white papers on how chaplaincy in the workplace is legal, mm. as long as you do it right. And so chaplaincy has to be a voluntary and by-permission program. But even with that, not everybody likes it. So I'll tell you a little story. I had a guy named David, and I was his chaplain for a really long time, actually in a couple different places, and he hated me. He hated everything (laughs) I stood for. And so when I would go to this company, before I would go in, I would stop and pray for David because I knew I was going to encounter him at some point during my time there, and it wasn't going to be good. So I would always make a point to show him respect, use his name, and when I would get to him, I would just simply say, good morning, David. And on a good day, he would snarl, and just give me a mean look and keep walking on yeah. a bad day, cuts me out, right? <laughs> this was back when in the, the Great Recession. So times got tough. He actually got laid off. I lost touch with him. And a couple of years later, he showed up at another company that I was serving. So mm-hmm. I was walking around, and one of the employees said, hey, we got a new employee today. Let me introduce you to him. His name is David. And I turned around. I'm face-to-face with David. And I'm like, David, I didn't pray for you this morning, so don't cuss me out. So <laughs> I just said, oh, I know David. I said, David, I'm glad you're here. This is going to be a really good place for you. And I turn around and hightail it off before mm-hmm. he can get angry, right? And so that became my message for David. Every time I would encounter him in the workplace, I would say, David, I'm glad you're here. This is going to be really good for you. Mm-hmm. And about six or eight weeks into it, I'm walking away, and I hear, hey, Brian. And I didn't know he even knew my name. He had never used it before. I said, yeah, David, what's up? He said, man, I used to be mean to you. I said, David, I know, but you're in a good place now. It's going to be okay. He said, no, man, I treated you bad. I'm sorry. And that led to some really, really cool spiritual conversations, Mm. all by permission. Mm. Like I didn't, this is probably six or eight years after I met David. And I never forced myself on him because it's a voluntary program. Yeah. And everything's by permission. And so until David saw that he could trust me and granted me permission, Mm. that spiritual conversation never happened. Wow. 
So tell me about how many chaplains does corporate chaplains have scattered across the, the country? So we got about 300 chaplains now in 48 states. So how many companies does that represent? There? That represents almost 900 companies wow. and 150,000 or so employees. So take me through, I mean, you've given this story about David, but just kind of a day in the life of a, of a corporate chaplain. What does that look like? So a normal chaplain will have enough companies to make up around 800 or so employees that they'll care for at any given time. Mm. Now, for for most pastors, when they hear that, they think 800 people, that's a whole staff, right, if I got that in my church. But chaplaincy is a little different. You don't have to do three sermons a week and all the committees and all the admin stuff. It's really kind of pure ministry. So a a normal chaplain will have about 800 employees or so that they'll care for, depending on how many locations they go to. And they'll figure out a schedule that fits for that company. And so if it's an early morning company, they'll get there first thing in the morning. We have chaplains, some of them, that uh, show up at locations at 4 a.m. because that's when the drivers get there and that's when they leave, right? Um, When I first started, I was chaplaining trucking companies. And, you know, I'm chaplain in the night shift. And so at 2 a.m., walking around the dock of these trucking companies. And, you know, when when you're walking around at 2 a.m. caring for people, they see how much you care really fast. And it makes a big difference. And so on a weekly basis... A chaplain will spend about 30 to 35 hours doing that thing we called rounds, just walking around, mm-hmm. encouraging people, talking to them. Yeah. And, and the other five to 10 hours is generally spent doing care sessions, going deeper. They've gotten a call for a crisis or they've asked, somebody's asked for help or somebody's in the hospital or somebody needs a funeral, something mm-hmm. like that. So member care, what, what I would think of as a pastor is member care type of work, but in the workplace. That kind of thing, right. Well, now, we're not trying to become the church in the workplace. Sure. You know, our, we would love to get these employees connected to the local body. Mm-hmm. And so we're not trying to replace that in any way, but we do do what you would consider member care. Yeah. So what are some of the common obstacles for, for your chaplains? I mean, I would imagine being careful about legal needs, you know, facing somebody like David that really doesn't want you there. But what are some other common obstacles that they face? So the culture's changing, right? America is uh, becoming more and more polarized. And so one of the things that we train on constantly at Corporate Chaplains of America is how to encounter a tough conversation in the workplace. Yeah. When somebody wants to go political, when somebody wants to have a divisive conversation, really get into the heart of why that person wants to have that conversation, really even before engaging the conversation. Yeah. Right? So trying to figure out you know, where are they coming from? What kind of hurt do they have in their life that would even bring this topic up um, so that we have the ability to care for them before we start sharing our opinion and really where we, th- where we stand on certain issues. So you got you got chaplains that are meeting with people, doing rounds with people who are not believers, trying to encourage them, maybe get to a gospel conversation, plug them into a church. But I would imagine as well, they meet a fair number of people who are believers, but maybe haven't thought very much about how to integrate their faith at their work. So talk to pastors for just a minute about how would you encourage a pastor to uh, to teach their people or what kind of things to, to tell their people about faith at work? So I think one of the big things that our pastors can do is help break down the facade of the secular sacred divide. Yeah. Because I just I don't think it's real. Yeah. So sure, some people are called to vocational ministry, but I think we're all called to ministry. God calls most of us to minister where He plants us, and for most of us, that's in the workplace. Mm. And so, um, seeing my work is valuable. So God created work before the fall. It's not a product of the fall. He created it before the fall. Mm. You know, Ephesians says that we're created for good works, that he's prepared for us. You know, Colossians talks about us doing everything we do as unto the Lord because we're working for Christ, not for yeah. man. And so the more we can help 
the people in our churches, the believers, understand that when I go to work, I'm not just going to make a paycheck so that I can go live life. I'm actually going to do ministry there. I can't check Jesus at the door and leave him in the car, hmm. right? And so the, the worst thing I can do as a believer is go into the workplace and act like I hate my job and not have joy because the people around me are looking at me saying, well, if, if that's what Christianity is, why do I want it? Right, right. Because there's no joy there. And so work is worship. And so if we can help the people in our churches understand that when they go to work, they are in ministry. I, I've had I've had several people that we've talked to about becoming a chaplain, and they say, I just want to get out of the secular world and get into ministry. Right. Like, well, <laughs> the secular world is ministry. Yeah. And when we're looking for chaplains, we're looking for people who are living the life of a chaplain at work already, and they were doing it for free, and we just want to give them a job and pay them to do it. Yeah, so uh, it, it makes me think of, for years, I've heard some of some of the seminary presidents sort of in our circle say things like, you know, if, if local churches over time will begin to, to call out and train their own, they'll put seminaries out of business, which could be a good thing. You know, you can, uh, you, see, you see pastors trained in the context of their church and then moving on. I don't see that happening anytime in the immediate future, but it's, it's an ideal, maybe something to move towards. And is there something parallel here where even if, if pastors, if we do a better job in our churches, really making this faith and work integration matter and even equipping the saints for the work of that ministry, which is their nine to five or five to five to nine, whatever the, the clock punching is for you, if we do a better job equipping them, uh, even corporate chaplains might might start showing up in places and saying, hey, my work's done here and I'm going to go to the next company now. Is that is that a fair way to think about that? So I think it is. So if if we as believers all lived our faith out the way we're supposed to, Really, would there be a need for chaplaincy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, again, like you said, with seminaries, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Right. Um, we do have some owners who feel like they can be the chaplain for their company. Now, there is, when you think about that aspect of an HR person or an owner trying to become the chaplain, mm-hmm. you do run into some legal issues with that. Yeah. Um, you can get sued a whole lot faster that way. Um, you can have e- EEOC complaints a whole lot faster that way. And there's something about the chaplain also being the person that signs your paycheck yeah. that, that makes you a little bit harder to approach. And so I don't suggest that. But as you think about believers sitting side by side in office, office cubicles or on the assembly line or in trucking companies, I think every one of our believers ought to be caring for those around them. Yeah. You know, I'm imagining, too, people who may be listening to our conversation here and maybe they they do have some leverage at their uh, at their office or their business, and maybe they're the business owner. But they they may be thinking, you know, I don't know anybody else that does this. This is really not something I can do. But there's actually some really well known companies that have uh, have corporate chaplains and have used them for a long time. I'm, I'm thinking of Coca Cola Bottling Company is one of them. The former CEO of Krispy Kreme was on our campus a few years ago, kind of just sharing his story of how he went in and helped to kind of right the ship there, but also did it with thick Christian principles mm-hmm. very much on the front. These are publicly right. traded <clears throat> companies, and here they are able to also have a strong Christian presence there. Can you speak even more to maybe some other clients that you guys have? Yeah, so some of the uh, brands that you would recognize pretty quickly, Southeastern Freight Lines, a large trucking yeah. company, SS Express Lines, large trucking company, Aflac. Uh, oh, we yeah. have chaplains at Aflac. And so there are, there are lots of publicly traded companies and pr- large private companies that people would recognize who have integrated their faith really well into the workplace and mm-hmm. want to care for their employees. And they want to do it for a couple of reasons. Chaplaincy offers a great spiritual value. 
But chaplaincy also offers a great uh, value just besides the spiritual because if a chaplain can help an employee with an addiction, mm, with a yeah. marriage issue, you know, employees bring all their problems to work with them, yeah. and it makes their work harder. And if the chaplain's there helping them with that main, whatever that major life issue is with them, and makes them a better employee, mm-hmm. it actually pays for itself. Yeah. So if, uh, if someone's listening and they're thinking, uh, look at my company, I would like to have a corporate chaplain, uh, what's the next step for them? So the quickest way to get in touch with us would be go to our website. It's chaplain.org, that's C-H-A-P-L-A-I-N.org. And there's a button on there that says, I'm a business owner and I'm interested in chaplaincy. And that'll connect with our development team who can come out and or phone call or, or come out for a visit and really explain what chaplaincy would look like in their company. Yeah. And, okay. and it's really a kind of a custom uh, thing. So we're going to look at their company, look at their demographic, their culture, look at the types of shifts that they have, and we're going to create a program that works really well for them. And if there's someone listening who thinks I may be interested in being a chaplain, is it the same? Go to the website? Go to the same place, same website, and but there's a separate button right beside that one that says I want to be a chaplain. Okay. And uh, that'll list our openings on there so they can go in and see where we currently have openings, and that'll go to our recruiting team. Okay. So, Brian, this, this year um, we're focusing on spiritual formation across kind of everything that we're doing at the Center for Faith and Culture. So I'm, I d- I've got to ask you, we're basically asking everybody that we're, uh, we're doing a show with this year, what has spiritual formation got to do with chaplaincy? I think it has everything to do with it. Like the, everything we've been talking about, like our work is worship. And um, we talked about taking our whole self to work, and, and employees do that all over America, even if they're not Christians, right? Yeah. So why wouldn't Christians do the same thing? You know, John 15 teaches us to abide in Christ. And to abide means to immerse yourself, to dwell with. It doesn't mean just live with it when you're able at home mm, or yeah. live with it on Sunday. Immersing ourselves in Christ means taking him everywhere we go. And so why would we check our faith at the door? And so as we truly immerse ourselves in Christ, that's going to show up in the workplace. And I think that has everything to do with our spiritual formation about total surrender. Yeah. Brian, how can people follow you and your work at Corporate Chaplains? Um, so back to that website, uh, chaplain.org is a really great way to do that. If anyone wants to reach out to me, my email is very simple. It's bayers, B-A-Y-E-R-S, at chaplain.org. They can also find me on LinkedIn, follow me there. Okay. Uh, but if anyone wants to have a conversation about this, I'm wide open to and it. Your personal cell phone number, we want to go ahead and broadcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. Brian, it's been a joy. And I, I've, I've followed you guys for a long time um, and, and even had the privilege of knowing a number of corporate chaplains. Some are Southeastern graduates. Some are just people I've met. And you guys do a remarkable work. So thank you for all that you do. Thanks, Benjamin. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Now it's time for listener favorite segment called On My Bookshelf. This is the part of the show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. Today we have Dr. A.D. Miles. Dr. Miles, what's on your bookshelf? (laughs) What's on your bookshelf? Um, Well, because I'm interested in the Rings of Power and where did did these stories come from? And Mm -hmm. I haven't read the background material and I'm interested in this conversation, you know, are these stories being true to like Tolkien's vision or the spirit of his work? So I picked up recently um, this biography, J.R.R. Tolkien, The Making of a Legend by Colin Durez, um, because I want to know for myself, who is this man? 
you know, what was he thinking? I know we can't know everything from a biography, um, but I wanted some insight into who he was. Um, and I haven't gotten all the way through it yet, but so far I'm really fascinated by his childhood and just sort of seeing the things that were shaping what would become what he created. Yeah. You know, it would become the Shire. It would become smelting factories that might produce orcs or whatever. Um so, and this is something that for me personally, like when there's a conversation going on, and I think in our culture, there's lots of conversations going on, you know, lots of these, they said this, or they said that. And I think it's important. Yeah, you can listen to the conversation, but when you really want to know the answers, try to get as close to the source material mm-hmm. as you can. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Tolkien is, you know, whether you like him or not, whether whether you're a Christian or not, whether you agree with sort of the way that he's putting stories together has to be one of the greatest imaginations of the mm-hmm. 20th century, bar none. Mm-hmm. At least at least that wrote anything. Just just unbelievable. Yeah. And then he, he makes up, I mean, he writes a language, multiple right. languages, in order right. to just put this material out there. It's just, right. it's remarkable. Yeah, his, I, his intelligence plus imagination. This is what he did for fun, like as an 8-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 10-year-old. He made up languages. It's, it's unbelievable. Did you not do that as an 8, 9, 10-year-old? <laughs> I did not. I'm and not, not to mention that his writing also was on the side. I mean, he's a professor. Right. And so this is just what he's doing in his... Spare right. time. I was trying to find a way to make that spare um a pun, but I couldn't do it. It was his <laughs> spare time. Um, in any case, of course, a friend with, with C.S. Lewis and part of the Eagle and the Child mm-hmm. crew. Tell us the name of the book again. It is J.R.R. Tolkien, The Making of a Legend. And by. that's by Colin Durez. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Miles. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Christ and Culture. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week.